You're listening to MHD Off the Record's South LA Highlights, where I, Siobhan Taylor, speak with local organizations, small businesses, and individuals doing amazing work in South LA. Here, we uplift and highlight their work while keeping you informed of the resources available in our community. On this episode, we speak with Janette Robinson Flint, Executive Director of Black Women for Wellness, a woman-centered community-based organization working on reproductive justice issues as they impact black women and girls. Black Women for Wellness aims to expand healthcare access, reduce toxic hair care chemicals that are prevalent in our community, and build political advocacy in California and beyond. Ms. Robinson Flint is also part of the Los Angeles Coalition for Reproductive Justice, California Coalition for Reproductive Freedom, and In Our Own Voice. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Jeanette Robinson Flint. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, first, I'm very excited to have you because your organization has been very focused on the health of black women and girls since the since its inception. And that's something that I find to be really not only really important because I am a black woman and was a black girl, but because it's so focused on our specific needs and the fact that there are so many disparities to the access that we have to health care. And there are so many things that target us that have harmed our health, especially when we think about things like hair care. And that was where I first learned about your organization. It's so interesting how people come into the door of Black Women for Wellness. Um, yes. That's not where you started, but that's where I first entered the door. Absolutely. And, and what I want to say is that what I love about Black Women for Wellness is that we do center Black women and girls. And a lot of folks have asked us to move from that center or pivot from that center. One of the most frequent ones is, can we talk women of color? Can you say Mm. that? Or the newest term, BIPOC, right? Which is Black, Indigenous, people of color. Black, Indigenous, people of color. And and my answer is, when we solve the issues of Black women and girls, when we eliminate, and I'm using this word intentionally, eliminate the health inequities and disparities that we suffer, then we can... We could focus on anybody else we want to. But the irony of that is when you do eliminate those issues that everybody impact rises. black women and black girls, it literally everybody impacts rises. everyone else. Yeah, everybody. So you don't have to say BIPOC. You don't have to say women of color. If you focus on black women and girls, everyone benefits. But someone has to focus on us. Absolutely. So we are absolutely pleased to be able to do that. And from what I understand, you guys started... In the 90s, focusing on black women's health and well-being by focusing on black mothers. So we started 1997 and uh, we started with a program. We actually started with two programs, but the first program we called Shingazi. And Shingazi is a key Swahili word that means auntie. Right. Oh, I love that. So we were the aunties, the sister friends, because it was modeled in in partnership with the birthing project. We were sister friends to expectant black women. Right. So between the six of us who started Black Women for Wellness, we were sister friends or aunties to 23 black women. Right. That was a lot. And our families were like, what y'all doing? (laughs) And so that's how it became an organization as opposed to a baby bunch. And that's where we grew from. So it was absolutely about maternal and infant health. And you know, 23 years later, it's still the center in terms of maternal and infant health. 
we call it reproductive justice because it's a bigger umbrella. Mm-hmm. And with that bigger umbrella, we can look at all those intersecting issues that impact the decision making and the healthcare access and what we need to to be healthy black women. So when you started, it sounds like it was more direct service. It was centered. But you guys have expanded beyond direct service. Absolutely. So how did that transition begin? How did you go from direct service to focusing on policy? So 23, right? I said we were mentoring. And they were a very diverse group of women. We had PhD candidates and mamas on welfare, mm-hmm. right? Trying to figure out how do we make this all happen. And what we is is this story about we were pulling sisters out the river one at a time. Right. And it occurred to us, this is system. We need to change the system. Right. We need to stop folks from getting in the water. We need to stop folks from needing uh, the health care, the extra help that was needed. We needed to fix the system. We later learned we need to dismantle the system. Mm -hmm. That's another story. So. No, it's not another story. It's like it's it's us going up the river. Right. Yes. Okay. We we pulling folks out one at a time. That's not it's not good enough. Right. You, before you move forward, because you're saying up the river, I know what that means because mm-hmm. it's a very sociological term and and concept. Can you explain that concept so people okay. understand what that sure. means so in, in the story. idea of direct service story and of a river, right? policy? So Black Women for Wellness has six folks who are trying to rescue six women. So those folks in the river, they, we, we trying to pull folks out the, out the water in terms of rescue them one at a time. Right. So by saying going up the river, what we mean to say is now we're trying to figure out why so many women in the water. Right. What kind of structure or what kind of fix can we create so so many people won't be in the water so we won't have to push pull them out one at a time. How they getting in the river in the first place? That's that's going upstream. That's right. going up the river. Right. So that's where we decided, okay, let's go see, you know, why are women ending up in the water? that we had to pull out one at a time, can we put a fix in so they don't end up in the water? So that's policy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started, you know, thinking about policy and talking to our policymakers, and they're like, oh, nice little girls. <laughs> Y'all keep doing that program stuff, right? And I think that's often how people look at it is where, you know, charity's good, service work is good, you know, mm-hmm. keep your programs. In fact, we'll fund a program. Stay in your lane. But when you start talking about policy, when you start talking about policy, they they wasn't trying to hear that, <laughs> right? So then that's when we realized mm, we need to speak another language because uh, policymakers in general they spoke voting or they spoke money. We didn't have enough money to play that game, but we did know enough people who voted. Mm-hmm. So that's where we came up with this program. Voting rules everything around me. I saw Vream. that. Bream. Bream, <laughs> right. And that's a playoff of cream. Cash rules everything around me. So you switched it up to voting well, rules everything around dream. me. So Well, I'm saying, well, because most people gotcha. don't know the Wu Tang song, Cream, Cash Rules Everything Around Me. Mm-hmm. And then you dream mm-hmm. is Vream. Mm-hmm. I'm just playing it out for everybody. I'm playing with the words. <laughs> right. And and I will say that one of the things I also love about Black Women for Wellness is this is a multi-generational organization. <laughs> right? Like Wu-Tang Who? Oh, okay. 
I'm wearing that t-shirt and you're like, oh yeah, okay. That's because I got children. What can I say? So, um, but anyway, I will never forget like one time when we walked into uh, an elected official's office and we were saying, you know, this, this is a challenge. This is a problem. This is what we think needs to be done. And they were all leaned back and like, yes, you know, ooh, it's a delegation of black women here to see me. That's so nice, right? And then we said, and we talked to 10,000 people in your community. And they literally set up mm-hmm. and said, y'all did what? We, yeah, we did phone banking. We asked them this question. And if they were concerned about this and how they were going to vote based on how you've been voting, Change the whole attitude. Wow. Change. So we're like, aha. Hmm. Okay. We're going to have to keep up this civic engagement piece. We're going to have to keep calling constituents and community members. And we're going to have to keep showing up in their office to let them know we're concerned. We're watching you. We got your back if you're in, you know, in, in our corner. And if not, we're going to make a note of that, too. <laughs> right. 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 So that's that's where that pro, uh, program came from. And then once we had the attention and the allyship and the partnership with with our elected officials, that's when we can really take a deep dive into policy mm-hmm. and start thinking about what kind of policy do we need? What kind of policy, you know, is needed to help folks from being in the water? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I love that. And I love that, you know, you did it from the ground up. You did the footwork. You went to the community. And because sometimes what organizations will do is they assume what people want. But you didn't assume what people wanted. You found out what people wanted. Well, it was two things, right? Because mm-hmm. when, when I'm talking about Black Women for Wellness, it was a group of six black women who started the organization. So we are the community, right? Very good point. And so we didn't have to like, you know, do a survey to figure out what black women need. <laughs> we are the community. We yeah. are. That's a good point too. So you didn't come from the outside like some people do. They come in trying to be saviors to a particular no, we, group. We, you were the group. You we were the, the community. We the group, right? It was like, okay. And, and it was, I laugh sometimes because we had, as part of our working with um, pregnant women, one of the things that happened is, you know, we kind of outgrow our clothes, right? <laughs> and so we were having these clothes exchange, right? Turn in your maternity clothes and, you know, we do some clothes exchange because people change sizes type of thing. And then at one point we were like, shoot, our clothes are in here too, right? And then I was like, no. I like this suit. I'm I'm work. I'm gonna do the exercise. I'm gonna do a diet, whatever. And so we started this program, Sisters in Motion, right? Which was an exercise program, and it was really with the intention because we saw ourselves changing sizes, right? Mm-hmm. And we were like, Mm-mm, some of us want to stay where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And pretty soon it was a whole physical fitness. You know, physical activity, kitchen diva program. And people say, well, how did you start that program? And we were like, it was organic. 
right? It came from what we saw we needed. We didn't need a survey to tell us that 67% of black women were overweight or obese because we were looking at ourselves. Right. Right. And it didn't come from a place of let's shame you into. No shame. Because that's what most people do. They'll come in with these statistics as a way to shame us. As though we don't know, as 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 though we yeah. don't know our clothes don't fit, as we don't as though like, we don't know. We know we change the sizes, <laughs> right? but the point was it wasn't because we did a survey. It was because we were paying attention to ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And we were paying attention to what was going on in our community and realizing it wasn't just us. It was a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So that's how those programs developed, and that's how our programs developed. It was an organic growth. As opposed to, let's look at some data. Uh Oh, here's some data that says black women are uh, overweight and obese. What kind of program can we develop for them? That wasn't us. It was like, oh, shoot, I like this brown suit. I like it. Uh-uh, I got to do something type of Mm -hmm. thing. And so we had fun with it. So basically, that was actually something I wanted to ask you guys about, which was, the fact that you attack health at so many different angles and sides, right? So you have direct service work, but you also have educational work and you also have public policy work. So it's like you attack it at so many different ways. I was wondering, how does this, how do you have this? Like, how does this start? Because you go online to your website, you also have education around sex, which is another angle. We have Get Smart Before You Get Sexy. And now right. we have Grown and Sexy, too. Oh, okay. What's, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So Get Smart Before You Get Sexy was trying to or is addressing comprehensive sex education for 12 to 24. Mm. Right? So if you look at the data, that age group from 12 to 24 Black women have an epidemic of sexually transmitted infections, mm-hmm. right? So then grown and sexy comes along. So grown and sexy is for the mature women, 50 plus, right? Because, okay, guess what? We growing up, mm-hmm. right? Black women for wellness is 25 years old, give or take. And those of us who started out in our 20s doing Black Women for Wellness, well, we finding ourselves in that 50 plus group <laughs> right now. Right. Right. So sex is different now than for the young people. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And the information is new. There's new information coming out now. New information. But, you know, dealing with this issue of menopause and. Our bodies are different. Bodies changing. And, and it was kind of like we were having a conversation one time. Like, is that happening to you? Oh. That's happening to me, too. What? Oh, my God. I didn't know that happened. How come my mamas didn't tell us this? They didn't talk about sex. <laughs> right. They just So this, a generation of women who are just now learning certain things that mothers didn't get the opportunity they, to pass down to them. You know, who knows if they knew. Right. Or if they figured it out. I'm figuring. I'm thinking. I'm hoping. I'm praying that some of them did. But they weren't sharing it because it's this whole mystique surrounding sex and sexuality and the older you get the more mysterious it becomes Mm -hmm. right so that's where grown and sexy came from looking at us growing older saying "Ooh, this menopause it's no joke Mm -hmm. how do we deal with that you guys uh your organization while your work definitely expands throughout california it's it's but you guys are also very focused in south la and highly based in south la and do a lot of work in south la is there something special in particular about working in South L.A.? <laughs> Eyes got big, so I'm thinking that there is something special about South L.A. 
So is there something special about South Los Angeles? We all lived here. <laughs> You're from here. That's one thing I think is special I mean, for sure. Yeah. And it, it makes sense to start where you are. Like, it's like, well, I'm going to go clean up your house before I clean up my house. Mm-hmm. So all of, were all of the, well, many of the founders are in and from South LA or from South Not LA? Not necessarily from South LA. But in South LA. But in South LA. Okay. And so that's that's how we started because it's like we start where we live. Right. So, but no, we weren't all, quote, from L.A. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just, I'm only asking because a lot of the work that I've seen, and especially on the ground, has been in South L.A. and based so strongly in South L.A. And the impact I've seen um, is, is in South L.A. And your billboard is on Slauson. And I love that billboard. Um, mm. And I'm going to get into that as well. Okay. Your, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, it, it just makes sense to me to start where you live, right? Before, you know, we started in Los Angeles and then decided, okay, let's make this statewide. Got it. Right. And we did statewide, not only because black women live throughout the state, but because we had to do, we were doing policy and policy has a statewide impact. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's that's where we started at, and um, I'm going to tell you a quick story about Black Women for Wellness. We decided Black women, as opposed to African American. Okay, right? yeah, I'm very curious about yeah. that. Yeah, so because we weren't all from you, the U.S., right? Some of us were born internationally. Mm. So, but we were all Black women, mm-hmm. and, and you wanted that central. We wanted to be inclusive, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you have uh, one of the founders is from Haiti, right? And then we say African-American, that excludes her. Right. So that's why we said black women. And that's why we try to have a global perspective also, because we know that it's black women all over the world that we want to impact, connect to, and learn lessons from. And we share a lot of the same, I guess, you know, struggles, but also we, you know, we use some of the same similar hair care products. We struggle with oh some of the same gosh, the hair care access. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, but you know, we, the same issues around maternal health, the same issues around access. A lot of these things are universal within black communities across the globe. Um, and, and maybe they even impact us differently. Maybe the way it looks might be different, but especially if you look in, a, in, a, in America, Black communities, whether you're talking about Haitian communities, African from, you know, Nigeria, Ghanaian, Belizean, especially places like L.A., we're all in the same communities with the same disparities. And I think that's important that you do highlight that. I'm curious to know, how did you specifically get involved with this this work? What got you involved in Black Women for Wellness reproductive justice work in itself? Okay, so I was one of the founders. Uh, how did I get to Yeah, like that? I'm saying, like, how did you even okay. say to so how, what, what made you say to yourself, Catherine Hall? This is the work that I want to do. Catherine Hall. Right. Um, I think that throughout people's lives, we get seeds planted and we don't know when and where and how those seeds will grow. So when I was pregnant, I got a call from the doctor and it said, you need to come in and get this medication um, and take it immediately. So I was at work, and I said, I've had it all day. It'll wait till I get off of work, right? 
and went to the pharmacy after work, and it was white woman pharmacist. And she was like, oh, you're here to pick this up. Uh. And then she gave me the the it, the reading uh, of the medication, right? How you read, when to take it, how to take it, what the precautions are and stuff like that. So I sat down and read it while she was getting it ready. And it said, don't take it if you're pregnant. So I was like, whoa, this says don't take it if you're pregnant. So I went to her, and I was like, excuse me, this says don't take it if you're pregnant. She was like, yeah, I said, I'm pregnant. And she said, who prescribed this for you, right? She was pissed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she called the doc and said, why did you prescribe this for her if she's pregnant? He says, well, there's a gray area. She was like, no gray area, right? And we actually, she was very much my advocate, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, no, she's not taking this. We're going to find something else. And I was like, who the heck is this doc, you know, prescribing this? Glad I read this. And then that's when I decided I'm going to find a midwife. I'm not going to deal with this Western system. I can't believe a doctor would say there's a gray area around something as serious as pregnancy and medication. In fact, nowadays, the pharmacists even ask you themselves, at least usually when I go, are you pregnant? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about getting pregnant? Mm-hmm. Before they, the pharmacists now ask you. Yeah, for the pharmacists. <laughs> because the pharmacist was my advocate in this regard. Right. Right. So, um, so that was a seed planet. So when Catherine Hall, Catherine Hall Trujillo now, came along and said, I need you all to start a baby bunch in, in Los Angeles because we had this underground railroad to new life because we're dealing with this, you know, maternal infant mortality. I was like, okay, I can, I can play. I can do that. I can volunteer. I had... Uh, been volunteering um, at that point in time I was volunteering at KPFK which is a radio station Pacifica so volunteering was something that was a seed planted long before too and knowing how things could go left with a pregnancy because my own pregnancy was a seed planted too so that's how the seed got planted and uh, and Catherine was the person who came along and started watering it so that's how we got to Black Women for Wellness. Wow. So now that's just central to everything that you do in your work is just reproductive, not just reproductive justice, but the fact that your experience and that experience, and I'm sure among others throughout your pregnancy. Sure. And sure. seeing and witnessing so much in helping other women has made this so central to not just your work, but the work of the organization. It's the work of the organization because... The six of us who came together to be this baby bunch, it was all central to us. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's where we started. And that's where our work started. And that's where it branches out from. So we started a program called Keep in Touch. And Keep in Touch was about breast health. And why did we start that? Because one of the women who was the founder found a lump in her breast. Right? We didn't do research or go out and say, let's start a program. It came to us. And that's what I said. All our programs are very much organic in that sense, right? So when she found a lump in her breast, right, we were like, oh, what are we going to do? Well, what do you do? We didn't have any information. So we went out and did the research. We went out and found the data. We went out and figured out, well, this is what you do. You know, this is breast self-exam. We had to find out about diet, 
nutrition. We had to find out about herbs. We had to find out about profit and all the things that come along when you had that type of cancer scare. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were like, I wonder do other people need this information? And that's where Keep In Touch came from. It was Keep In Touch because at that point in time, and trust, we have had many a conversation about breast self-exam. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's where we, where we started that program. And that's why I said the programs that we do are organic, right? Right. Um, when we started talking about the, our overexposure and underprotection from toxic chemicals in hair, all, you, ooh, this is it was like one of the one of the great moments in my life that I remember for a while. We were in China and all of us wore our hair different. So at that particular time I had a flat twist, uh, another one had locks, another one had um a pressing curl, another person had braids. We we're chilling in China at the fourth world conference on women, right? And this group of Maori women struck up a conversation with us, right? They were like, hey, hey, how y'all doing? It's a great conference. We chit-chatting and blah, blah, blah. And then finally they got to, we really want to talk about y'all hair. And we were like, our hair? And they were like, yeah, they all had big froze, mm-hmm. right? And they were like, we... We want some different hairstyles. We want to branch out like y'all do. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, y'all did all this preamble. We could have went straight to hair. Because mm-hmm. we talk about hair all the time. <laughs> and that's when we started talking about hair and the chemicals we use and how we get the styles we want. And and, and then we started talking about how, how we are accepted or how we are labeled based on our hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to fast forward this to 2022. And we were we have two young women, one from Namibia and one from Ethiopia, who are doing fellowships at Black Women for Wellness Office. Wow. Like, isn't that amazing? Yes. I like it. And so they are here for approximately four months. And then they go back to Namibia and Ethiopia with the lessons they learned. That is wonderful. Yeah. And I think it's, well, to, to get to the, to really talk about this, the hair point, because this is something that. This is what I'm going to talk about hair. Okay. Okay. So the young woman from Namibia says something to me about hair, about somebody wearing their hair in a natural style. And, oh, she, she was, here's what she said, that. A candidate had came to talk to a meeting that she was at. And I said, which candidate was it? Right? Because we got four black women at least running for office, maybe five. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, they wore their hair natural. And I said, then that wasn't a candidate. And she said, what do you mean that wasn't a candidate? I said, because if you're running for office as a black woman, chances are your hair is not natural. I was like, the person, the two people, Karen Bass has a teeny-weeny afro. Did she have a teeny-weeny afro? She was like, no. I was like, because if she had braids or locks, she wasn't running for office. Because in 2022, we still don't wear our hair natural running for office like that, Mm. right? I think um, Ayanna Presley was extremely brave. And being bald because of the alopecia. Right, I remember that. Right? But, you know, let's do a scan. 
of black women in office and see how many have their hair natural while they're running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I said, you know, like, for instance, if we remember those Obamas, when they put the two girls hair in braids for the summer, it was this national uproar. Right. God forbid that Michelle would have put her hair in some braids. In fact, they were to make fun of her. They would put pic- her they afro. would draw pictures of her in an afro to make fun of her. Yeah. To say she was a militant. Which was interesting because she clearly was not, <laughs> but yeah, but that was their that was their vision of any. That's the a, power of hair because the hairstyle. image of black women in their natural hairstyle was that they must have these strong political views yeah. to the left, to the left, way to the left, way the radical, radical extreme, <laughs> right. right, radical extreme for white nationalism perhaps, but not for the black community, right, right. right. But this is twenty twenty two and. People still have to think about that. That's a really good point. And and I think that's why when your research study had came out about the dangers of the chemicals in relaxers, that it hit me so hard because I had already gone, um, take had stopped getting relaxers long before, but I didn't really have a lot of support around that time. because so I had stopped wearing my hair um, in relaxers or even really straightening my hair I want to say it was on two early 2000. So it's like 2002. And at that time there really wasn't much on the internet. Wasn't as big as it is now with a lot of resources and information and hairstyles. There was no YouTube at the time to teach you how to do your hair. Um, So a lot of the ways I didn't even know. And I was raised by a single father who literally knew nothing. So (laughs) I was, my hair wasn't, I didn't have, I didn't know how to style it already. So when I didn't know how to do it outside of straightening it, I was very lost <laughs> and there wasn't much support even from other black women because they didn't really know. And then relaxers were supposed to be like the convenient way. No one ever talked about the connection between relaxers and fibroids or the connection between relaxers and cancer or the connection be- or the fact that, you know, you the fact that we had this belief that it was necessary to succeed in life. Mm-hmm. You ne- there, No one talked about that with me. It was just what it was. And when that study came out and when your work had come, had come out about it, it literally went viral. I remember everybody referencing it. I was on, cause I was on all the natural hair websites at this time, the blogs and the message boards. And because this was the early stages of the quote unquote natural hair movement. Mm -hmm. I call it that because that's what it kind of was dubbed Mm -hmm. on the internet. And this is really because the internet had grown. The message boards and social media was at the very early stages. This was pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. Was there a live pre-Twitter? <laughs> right? It's, it's hard to remember this, right? I'm, yeah. I'm saying this is like early before 2004. So you're saying late 90s, maybe 2000, 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. Facebook came around like 2004. Um, I think Twitter was a little bit after that. Um, and then around then, the natural, quote unquote, natural hair movement came up around YouTube time. Mm-hmm. And we had message boards. And, you know, that's when I was beginning to learn when that study had came out and it was everywhere I could look online. And I was like, wow, I don't think that's when I first heard of your organization. I didn't even, I had already gone, you know, I hate the term going natural because I'm like, I was already natural. I had stopped <laughs> wearing relaxers. But um, it was the first time I saw the science that made me feel like we were being targeted 
chemically. Because the thing is, the scientists already knew it was dangerous. The people who were selling the products already knew it was dangerous. And it was beyond relaxers. That was the other thing that got me. That there were chemicals in products that were targeted specifically to black women in shampoos and quote unquote moisturizers. Detanglers. Detanglers. It was in B. It was so even if you were calling yourself uh, not wearing a relaxer, you were still being targeted in the, and still, mind you, they were still com- overexposed to the chemicals. Right. And, yeah. even, and and the thing is also finding out that the companies that own the products that were targeting black women owned the same companies. They, they, they were the same companies that owned products that targeted other groups, but they didn't have the same chemicals in them. Mm-hmm. That was also what blew me away. Mm-hmm. And no one was really amplifying it and how we were being targeted with these carcinogens. It's multi-layered. It's so multi-layered. Um, first lesson I learned: this is a multi-billion with a B dollar industry. Mm-hmm. So you can't come to play with them. You got to be serious. And you were serious. Yeah, but I'm just saying that it is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and they they like making money, mm-hmm. right? And if they figure that you're coming after their profit. They will come after you. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's that's like lesson number one. Did, okay. did they come after you? Mm, I'm going to say not. No, because I don't think they perceived us as a threat. Mm. Um, what they did was they switched, right? Oh, y'all want natural chemical? You know, y'all want natural? We got something for you, right? You don't have to relax your hair. Use this detangler. Use, you know, use this hair mm-hmm. dye. Now they put shea butter and olive oil on the front of the box. They say everything has shea Organic. butter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you right. look at the ingredients and it's still right. the same stuff? What is that? <laughs> like, yeah. So they're like, we know how to do this, right? We just, mm. we, we put organic on everything, right. right? Or, you know, we say that this is natural or we'll put... um a label on that says no parabens, no right. formaldehyde, no blah, blah, blah. And the truth of the matter is, right, is we shouldn't have to be chemists with our magnifying glass at the, the grocery store or Target or CVS trying to figure out what to do with our hair or what product we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have these regulatory agencies like EPA, Environmental Protection, or FDA, Food and Drug Administration, that protects us from toxic chemicals, you would think. That's what government is supposed to do. Right. Right. And so that's what we see it. Like, government, y'all need to do this. Oh, wait. Y'all need some policy behind this? Okay, fine. Right? If that's what it takes. And... That's 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 where we where we landed, right? Mm-hmm. Just in terms of we we didn't have enough money and enough capacity to go after manufacturers, especially because manufacturers are then gonna switch, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then why not have the regulatory agencies that are supposed to be set up to protect us do their job? And let's give them some teeth, i.e. some policy, to be able to do their job. Mm -hmm. So that's the route we were taking, right? Mm. Um, But when I say it's complicated and it's layered, right? So then we're still looking at impossible white beauty standards that everybody is trying to live up to. Right. Right? Nobody 
very few people will live up to those impossible beauty standards. That's why people are having all kind of surgeries, injections, injections, and and stuff like that, because it's an impossible standard, right? And that's the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. right? That's the, and so we're looking at that and looking at black women are the farthest away from that beauty standard, right? But yet we're impacted across the board. We're impacted in, will we get hired? Right. We're impacted in, you know, now you they want a little picture when you send in your application for college, right? We're impacted in relationships, right? Right. Because the folks we are um, trying to have relationships are influenced by these beauty standards also. So we're impacted in terms of how you walk into the bank if you get a loan or not, right? right? Based on... You know, it's like you can have a real sharp resume, but they're going to look at you first, right, Right. type of thing. So all those complications come into that. So when you ask a black woman to wear her hair natural, right, you're asking a whole lot. It's interesting you say that because I was doing some research back in the day for a, a project around here. And one of the things that they found was during the Great Migration, that was one of the Nobody talks about this, but during the Great Migration, part of the reason why a lot of black women began to get relaxers and straighten their hair was that move from the South to the North. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the black people who had already moved to the North were trying to get people to more so assimilate to the culture of the North and the West by saying, well, we don't look country anymore. Don't, you can't look like a slave anymore. And this, and honestly, it wasn't even just black women. It was black men, too. That's why yeah. the conch was popular mm-hmm. at that time as well. Remember, mm-hmm. moving to the north, you got to get a conch. <laughs> it was just another t- term for relaxer. Uh, if you look at the well, Malcolm X what movie. What we're really saying is we had to be as close to as white as possible. Right. To be accepted, to be to assimilate, to, in order to be successful, in order to, to, be, successful. to, in order to be able. Because that was the belief. If you're moving north, we're now stepping away from slave cultures, this idea that. Because that, that was the belief, that this was our opportunity now. Um, if you watch the Malcolm X movie, you see that uh, when he went to get his hair conked, he had to put his head in the toilet. Um, that's based off of that that era and that time and that concept. Um, but it was linked to our opportunity. Mm-hmm. Our hair was literally linked to our ability to have access. And it still is. Economic it's not opportunities. It still it is. It still is. Still yeah. is till this day. Mm-hmm. And and it lending to that point around, you know, political candidates. But it goes beyond just politics. Oh, yeah. It's just the same thing I hear from black women who would say, oh, I'll have to wear a wig to the job interview. I'll take it off when I get the job, but I got to get in the door. People now, I'm the person... That. I wear an afro to my job interview, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, purposely, because I don't want you to hire me if you got that problem. I don't want to deal with it. That's just me. But I'm also, you know, I've also been homeless, so don't, don't necessarily go my route. But um, I feel like I I get it. I, I get that fear. I understand that fear. It's real. And, you, and if you have children to feed, sometimes you just, you feel like you got to do what you got to do. And also it, it, it impacts your your mentality impacts it, it impacts your self-esteem mm-hmm. you know um there's so many things i, I want to talk to you about i have a whole list of questions i had i, I told you i was so excited to talk to you <laughs> so i have like this is probably the longest rundown i had for us out there like highlight okay <laughs> but so we didn't get to get to everything i did want to um okay let me do a quick commercial while we're talking about here okay okay so we're still doing research okay and our research project is called taking stock so you can go to taking stock study. 
uh, to figure out how to get involved with the research. Okay. Right. Taking Stock Study. Mm-hmm. And that is that a website? Mm-hmm. So taking stock, takingstockstudy.com? Mm-hmm. Okay, go to takingstockstudy.com to get involved with the research. Are they doing a survey? We're doing a survey. Um, and we're doing education. And then see if you switch your products type of thing. And then we're doing biomonitoring. Okay. Mm-hmm. So are there any other programs or ways to get involved with what you guys are doing? Do you guys need any extra participants in other work? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so how can people get involved and support That's, the work that uh, you're doing? That is that particular thing, just in terms of we are still we are still talking about this beauty situation, right? Mm-hmm. So now we have what we call the Beauty Justice Coalition. And that is doing the research, is doing the data analysis and that type of thing. Because if we don't do it, it won't get done. Facts. Because people weren't interested in that connection to fibroids or that connection to cancer because it wasn't impacting them in the same way. Good point. But we have like some real strong researchers now doing work, and you'll find that at Taking Stock. Okay, so how else can you get involved with Black Women for Wellness, right? So with our REAM program, um, we do civic engagement. And civic engagement means we're still calling the community, we're door knocking in our community, and we're taxing our community. So you could do all of that in terms of we have a you know we have a script that we give you, and we put all of that information in the database. So now when we go see our elected officials, we have asked our community about what we're seeing them about. So. If one of our people call you, answer the survey. That's that's one way you could do it. And, you know, I laugh because sometimes people call me. You know, it feels like a telemarketer. Do you have five minutes to answer these calls? No. I hate the phone. <laughs> but, and that's the natural inclination, right? But if we're calling and we'll, we'll say immediately we're from Black Women for Wellness, answer the survey questions. And it shouldn't take you longer than five to seven minutes to do that. So we can collect the data. Awesome. If you feel so moved, you can help us by doing some of those surveys, right? By being that person calling or being that person door knocking or that person texting. So that's another way to get involved with with Black Women for Wellness, right? We still have community town halls, a program called Sisters at Eight, and they are on the second Friday of the month. So on the second Friday of the month, I miss us being together. We used to do it at DWP over on Crenshaw and uh, MLK. Now they're on Zoom, but I anticipate us going back to being in person. We start with hot topics. One of the things that we know is that the news does not report on our community, all the things that they could and should report. So we start with hot topics. What's going on in the, you know, in the, in the community? And we do African world news. So if you have that hot news story, if you know about something that's going on, join us for Sisters at Eight. And uh, one, report that hot news story with hot topics and figure out or listen to what's going on in the world with black people. Right. Because we highlight, you know, the good and the fantastic as well as the bad. Right. So who's discovering new or making advances and, you know, that type of thing. That's that's how you can get involved with Black Women Fallen is just at a, you know, walking in the door type of thing. I love it. 
you like I said, you guys come at it from all sides. So there's a lot of opportunities, mm-hmm. a lot of different ways to be involved, mm-hmm. even if it's just answering the phone and doing the survey. You know, that's it. That's the <laughs> But I also understand it's like people call all the time and, and sometimes it's like folks feel like it's a scam. Like, I get it. Yeah, but no, we're just trying to get some information. I'm a survey doer. People call me because I used to, this is the thing, I used to have to call people and do movie surveys. So because of that experience, I pretty much always do people surveys. If they call mm-hmm. me, I'll do your survey. Because a lot of times these are hardworking people and they get, you know, paid off of their ability to fill up whatever quota they have. They so have I, a quota, right? So and, I always try and, to and help out. be nice out. to them because they get, they get hung up on, all day. All the time. <laughs> so I remember, I, time. I remember my days as a, a person that would have to call and do surveys. So I get it. Yeah, I, but, I get great credit to those <laughs> But thank you so much again, Jeanette, Robinson, Flit. We appreciate you, the work that your organization does. You are an amazing person. Um, you are an amazing activist. Your organization is some as a group of people, a group of women that I admire. And like I said, I've been following you since that report came out, and um, I'm I'm just very grateful. I'm very grateful that we have women like you and your your organization doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia, the poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.